That Force Radio. That Force Radio is rated M for mature. Or should that be immature? Hey guys, Dustin Wynn. Hey, this is Scott Snyder. This is Paul Dini. And you're listening to Bat Force Radio. And you're listening to Bat Force Radio. Listening to Bat Force Radio. This is Kevin Conroy, the voice of Batman. And you're listening to Bat Force Radio, so stay tuned. Back to Bat Forest Radio, the Batman in DC podcast with no limits. Uh, this week we have Grandpa Batman in Texas. Howdy. I am Robin Cross in Canada. And this week's guest is an Eisner Award winning creator and author of books like The Many Deaths of Layla Starr at Boom Studios, Blue Green at Image Comics, The Savage Shores at Vault Comics, the currently ongoing Venom at Marvel, as well as Swamp Thing and Aquaman Andromeda at DC. On July 26th, he takes over Detective Comics on issue 1062 with part one of Gotham Nocturne, along with Raphael Albuquerque and Dave Stewart. Welcome to the show, Mr. Ram V. Hey, thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank just you. Wanna, thank just want to jump in and, and correct you a little bit there. I haven't won the Eisner yet, but God bless you for, for uh, uh, assuming yeah, maybe, I will. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe I... Uh, well, didn't, uh, didn't Blue Green... Did Blue Green win? Um, yeah, Blue and Green yeah. won for, for Best Artist, so, so I will, I will okay. not steal Anand's okay, uh, yeah. Eisner from it. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I guess I just get it in my head that uh, that it uh, was the Eisner winning book, and, right. and that was all that I considered. But yeah, but yeah, you, you uh, since uh, we're on to that topic, uh, you are nominated this year for Best Writer, mm-hmm. uh, along with people like James Tynan and... Uh, yeah, I got to think you have a great chance there. So, fingers crossed for you. Yeah, thank you, thank you so much. It's nice to be it's nice to be nominated and all that. And um, I think it's cooler to to have Layla Star nominated for best book as well. So, uh, I'm quite excited to see the outcome of that one. You know, it, it would be nice to win the best writer as well. But as you said, you know, I have some stiff competition. So, and yeah, uh, a book like Layla Star now. Uh, a lot of our audience, I, I'm aware, they don't read a whole lot beyond, uh, you know, DC and Marvel stuff. Mm-hmm. But you know, if you guys aren't reading us uh, stuff from other publishers, things like Layla Star or Blue Green that that Image did, and a lot of stuff that Ram and a lot of other uh, creators are doing, you're really missing a lot of great stuff out there. So if you don't already expand your horizons, it, it's really a time you should be doing that. But, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Read more comics. Yeah, yeah, yeah there, there's no shortage of things there. There are new things out every week. If you go into your shopping, like, oh, there's only one new Batman book this week. There are 20 other new things. So check some other things out. But uh, I want to thank you for taking the time to do this. Uh, I know you've had uh, a busy day among a series of busy days getting ready. Uh, you're going to head over to America soon for San Diego. Yep. Uh, you've got the, the Eisners happening while you're there. Uh, so a lot going on. So thank you for taking the time to do this. 
my pleasure. Now, before we uh, get too far into things, I, I know you explained this recently in a, a DC print interview, mm -hmm. but maybe so people can hear you say it phonetically. Now, Ram V is sort of a pen name uh, as a result of an Indian custom that doesn't make sense with Western customs relating to uh, to your father's name. So, uh, do you want yeah, to so my, let my people hear name, you? My full name is Ram Narayan Venkatesan. Um, and Venkatesan is my dad's name, and it starts with a V. Um, and it's kind of like the Nordic convention, right? You use your first name and then you have your father's name following it. Um, and that's kind of how South Indian Tamil naming conventions work. Um, but when I joined the school in Bombay, they said I had to have a third name. And so my mom used my cast as my last name. Um, and I don't really enjoy that. So I stuck with Ram Venkatesan. Uh, and then people started calling me Mr. Venkatesan, which is really my dad. <laughs> so I was left with no option but to go, no, 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 it's Ram V. Um, and then following which, Jamie Rich, who was my editor at DC, um, messaged me while I was while I did the first uh, Batman Secret Files short story for him. And he said, is this, is this all right? Is this how you want it? Because uh, we credit last name only. And that means your credit is just going to be V on the comic. And I was like, uh, I'm not sure about that. He's like, nah, I think it's cool. So we, so we went with that. And uh, ever since it has been this, are you round five? Are you round five? <laughs> <laughs> <other four>, uh... <laughs> Ram the <Yes>. <laughs> uh, I think but... it's pretty cool when you just see V up there. It kind of adds a little element of, you know, mystery. Mystery. Just, yeah. yeah. Makes me a little <laughs> curious. Um <laughs> Good. I, I mean, it kind of forced me to work hard enough to where people will recognize who that is, just the last initial. So I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> so if I brought my books for you to sign, would you just put V? No, no, I do sign my, wow. my I do sign Ram V. Oh, okay. <laughs> I wish I would just sign V. That would make signing books a lot easier. That'd be so oh, cool. Yeah. Just put V. <laughs> there you go. But you'd have to do a fancy V or something so people aren't just uh, forging. Yeah, exactly. Oh. Right. Uh, so before we get into uh, Batman, Aquaman, Layla, Green and Blue, um, Blue and Green, rather, um, I want to start with your own origin story. Uh, what drew you into writing, into comics, and how did you eventually find your way into into this world? Yeah, I mean, um, I actually studied to be a chemical engineer when I was when I was back in India. It sounds um, like a supervillain origin story instead of an author's <laughs> origin. Dun, dun, dun. Actually, it's pretty dramatic. So I was studying to be a chemical engineer. I was always going to be one. Uh, and I used to read comics as a kid. Uh, and I used to read a lot as a kid. And I still do. But it spurred on my, my love of writing. Um, and I don't remember exactly when. Maybe I was 12 or 13. I remember writing like a good significant chunk, something like 40,000, 50,000 words of um, what I thought was going to be the next great Lord of the Rings ripoff. But um, <laughs> st even so, um, I've had that commitment to writing since I was, you know, in my early teens. Um, somewhere in there, my dad decided that I shouldn't be reading comics. So he, he took 
all of my comics and, and put them in trash bags and, and threw them away um, and said, now you have to read proper books, um, which was, yeah, see, super villain origin right there. <laughs> um, but then I had moved to the States when I was 20 uh, to, to continue studying chemical engineering. And a friend of mine at the time, uh, gift, she gifted me volume one of Sandman for my birthday. Oh, nice. And that really kind of turned my head, um, blew my mind, uh, and, and pulled me back into comics. Um, but I, you know, I thought nothing of it. I'd been writing as an amateur since, uh, not comics, mostly prose. And I'd had a few things published here and there. Uh, and then 2013, I decided to pursue writing with a little bit more seriousness. So I quit my job, started writing, had a few things published, moved to the UK to study creative writing. And then towards the end of that course is really when I did my um, first book, which was a black and white crime noir without any crime. So so existential noir book set in Mumbai. Uh, and that was that was kind of my first foray into comics. It opened a lot of doors for me. Um, and then that happened in 2016. It came out in 2016. And then it's been kind of steady progress since then. Um, I did a I did an image book called Paradiso the next year. I did The Savage Shores in 2018. Blue and Green. Uh, no, Graffiti's Wall in 2019. Then Blue and Green in 2020. Um, and then 2019 was our... Yeah, 2019 was also my first uh, DC short story, uh, which was Batman Secret Files. Uh, and then a year later, I did my first Marvel uh, short story, which was Wolverine and Punisher as uh, part of the War of the Realms stuff. So, you know, I, both my starting characters at DC and Marvel were uh, Batman and Wolverine. Like, where do you go from there? Yeah, you started started high. Well, and well, where you went uh, over at Marvel from there anyway was uh, uh, shortly to Venom. You make yeah, it sound yeah. so easy. Like, it's just, <laughs> oh, I just started writing, and pretty soon I got some stuff out, and now here I am. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think you have to. I was. I've always been uh, a, a sort of obsessive personality, and so. Once I get interested in something, uh, you know, you couldn't you couldn't pull me away from it. And by basically, by the time I started writing with any kind of measure of seriousness, I had already put in probably hundreds of hours, if not thousands, uh, into into developing my writing as a hobby. Right. And uh, you you mentioned that uh, you have uh, an obsessive uh, personality, so. When I read Blue and Green, it feels like one of those obsessions that you had at some point is likely music. Yeah, yeah. I used to, so I used to play in a band and I play like four different musical instruments. Um, and I used to play blues with a band when I was in, in, in Philadelphia, which is where I studied for chemical engineering. Uh, so, yeah, music's kind of been a part of me almost as long as, as, as writing has, to be honest. Um, my dad kind of inculcated my love of music into me and then just kind of, just kind of stayed with me. Uh, clearly, uh, I was not meant to be a chemical engineer because <laughs> I did, I did, that was the one thing I did with no measure of obsession. Um, <laughs> <there you> <laughs> now, funny that your dad wanted you out of the comics, got you into music, 
and eventually you put music into your comics. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think, I think my dad was, you know, very pragmatic Indian dad in that yeah. he wanted me to enjoy a lot of things, but he was also like, you, you need to have a job, you need to go work in a factory somewhere. Da, 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 da. So, but he was a he was a Renaissance man in his own way. Yeah. But it is safe to say you're not going to be putting chemical engineering into your comics. I do. I do it all the time. Um, you know, recently, I think DC had sent me um, someone else's uh, story just to look at because there were some you know Indian characters in it and they wanted my take on like, is, is everything OK? Are we spelling things right? Are they speaking correctly? And I was giving them notes on it. And then I couldn't help myself. I had to there's a there's a chemical reference in there. Uh, to, to alkaline soil. I was like, this is not, this doesn't mean anything. This is not what they would say. And then, so all my other notes are like two line notes. And this one's like a paragraph, like why you should not call this alkaline soil. Well, that's, and it, it's really interesting that now you're going to be doing detective comics with the world's greatest detective. Mm -hmm. And you can bring that element into his detective work. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it's, Frankly, it's been there. It was there even in Secret Files. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, it's been it's been part of uh, everything I've done. It's there in Aquaman Andromeda as well. So I like my science fiction to be plausible, and I kind of use my engineering background uh, and research background to kind of make it seem like these things could be possible. Now. Uh I want to uh, jump back over. So you're no stranger to filling big shoes. Uh, you stepped into Venom along with Al Ewing following that huge run of Donny Cates and Ron Stegman. Mm -hmm. uh, how did you uh, approach doing this alongside Al? How much of a partnership goes into that? Because you're both uh, the, the credited writers on the series. Uh, and do you think there are, are there things that you would that you got to do differently coming into that title with Dylan having become Venom, as opposed to what you would have done had the Cates run ended with Eddie still in place. I mean, to answer the second part of your question first, uh, that was never a possibility in that the first time I was approached, you know, Al was already on the project and they really wanted someone who was going to take Dylan's narrative and, and develop it as a much more grounded, um, much more sort of earth centric story, if you will. Um, and so that was really the brief that, that was offered to me when I came in. Um, so yeah, I didn't really consider what it might've been if I, if I had just taken over with, with Eddie. Um, and in, in terms of collaborating with Al, yeah, Al's awesome. I've known Al since, long before you know we were we were working on venom uh alex actually one of the first people i showed four or five xerox copied pages of black mumba too when he was at one of the conventions here in london so uh, that's how far back we go um and it's been yeah it's been a it's been a joy it's been a pleasure collaborating um we co-plot everything uh, i think the idea of two narratives that are pushing and pulling at each other is super interesting uh, and it's great to be able to do that with someone that you can bounce ideas off of. And uh, coming in with uh, a story like where Dylan is now Venom, it 
it's an interesting point where people can either jump in not having read what came before and just like, okay, this is a new story with, with this new character that I didn't already know is Venom. Or uh, as part of the the larger story, following what uh, what Donnie and Ryan had done. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's a great jumping on point, um, and I kind of like the idea of bringing in new readers. I like the idea of comics not being opaque or intimidating to to get into. Um, you know, people have been asking, "Hey, Detective One Zero Six Two, what do I need? What homework do I need to do to enjoy your story?" And I go. No, it's all right. You can just start with 1062 and you'll be fine. Uh, and so that has always been part of my endeavor, whether that was with Venom or uh, whether that was with Swamp Thing uh, as well. So, uh, yeah, that has, I, I think that's a, I think that's a good thing. Um, and clearly it presents me with, with a relatively clean canvas where I don't have to start the story trying to justify its existence in relation to 150 other things, you know? Yeah. And no worries of, well, 12 years ago uh, in this issue, Dylan said this was... Uh, I don't worry the about case. that and Yeah, but with, with, <laughs> I, a, with, just, a, with a character like you. Dylan, you don't even have to worry about it. Yeah, but, but I don't worry about it. I mean, I'm writing Swamp Thing, which just probably has a longer lineage in history than most of the comics. But... Yeah. I never worry about that stuff. The answer I always give people with that is go read any mythology, biblical mythology, Jewish mythology, Indian mythology. Every two chapters, you're going to find someone contradicting what happened two chapters ago. Yeah. Like it's going to start off with God A is the brother of God B. And then three chapters in like God A and B are husband and wife. So um, I yeah. think great mythologies function like that. It's part of the joy of working in superhero comics for me is that kind of inherent contradiction and, and impossible relationships that you then, you know, some brilliant writer will come along 40 years from now and justify and make sense of everything. So Now, uh, you, you mentioned uh, getting into 1062 there. So uh, the lineage uh, that goes behind the these books you're working on. So how did the detective job come your way? And did you feel any pressure because of a book that dates back to 1937 that uh, wasn't there? Or is it that same attitude that you're just telling your story? No, I mean, I'm lucky in that sense, uh, in that I got into writing DC and Marvel stuff based off of the, the work that I had done on my creator owned books. So I've always had it in the back of my mind that the reason I'm offered these books, the reason I'm on the books that I am on is because of what I can do and, and, and what I do is of interest to DC Marvel and their readers. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't see a reason to change that approach in that when I come to a story, it's because of what I can do with that title. Um, and so in that sense, you know, Detective wasn't really, uh, it, it wasn't really offered to me in that sense. Um, when I was finishing up my run on Catwoman and Justice League Dark, um, I knew I was going to be continuing with Swamp Thing. I knew I was going to ma- do Aquaman. But uh, DC were asking me, hey, what do you want to do next? You know, what are you interested in? Uh, and I kind of went back and I said, look, I want to do something 
on a, on a bigger scale on a bigger platform than, than the stuff that I've done so far. Um, and I said, here are two books that I would be interested in taking on whenever they become available. Uh, and detective was one of them. And then about two months later, it so happened that, uh, the editors on detective, um, there was a, there was an editorial swap and my editor on Catwoman, uh, Jessica Chen was taking over detective. Uh, and she's one of the editors that I'd had this conversation with. So she came back to me and said, and said, Hey, I enjoyed working with you on Catwoman. And I know you said you wanted to take on detective when it becomes available. So can you get us a script two weeks from now? And that's how, that's how I started writing. Detective. Nice. <laughs> Now, did that first script, did that end up being what is being published as your first detective story? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I've had this kind of gothic opera take on Batman. I've had that in the back of my mind for, for years. Uh, I, I've known that there's a story to tell there. Uh, and that's part of the reason. Like, I didn't go and ask for Detective because I thought Detective was a great book for me to write. I, I asked for it because I thought I had a great story to tell with it. Um, and so, it, you know, turning a script around in two weeks was, was not ideal, but, uh, I've had the story in my, in the back of my mind for years. So. That's so, so cool. I mean, I, I'm always amazed at like writers that handle multiple books at the same time. Mm. And I think you're a little crazy sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I, I'm entirely in agreement and which is why I'm trying not to write so many books at the same time. <laughs> Have, you know, how do I say this? Um, how do you find yourself getting into the mind and voice of your characters? And I know that's pretty broad in general, but you know, let's say for example, you know, Dylan with Venom versus Bruce with Batman. Yeah, I mean, a lot of that actually happens before you start writing any of the issues. Um, I knew that with, with Venom, I kind of wanted to make it about a kid who's trying to rediscover his relationship with his father um, by going on a road trip in his father's jacket. You should think of the Venom suit as a jacket, if you will. Yeah. So, um, so I knew that was the that was the underlying emotional narrative that I was going to write, and, <clears throat> and once you think about that, and once you kind of pull on personal experiences, experiences of people you know, then it's kind of easy to to formulate a real three dimensional living character out of that, and then once you have that, um, it's pretty easy to slip back into that um, with. With Batman and Bruce, I mean, I grew up watching the animated series, um, mm -hmm. and I've been a you know been a Batman fan for for quite some time. I've read a lot of the comics, so I have an idea of who Bruce Wayne is as a as a human being, as a person, um, in my head. And then all I have to do is marry that with the with the aesthetic that I know I want to have in the book. And then once I do that, the voice is there. Uh, the atmosphere is there, the tone is there. A lot of it is also just practice with writing. Um, you, it, it's like 
you know, I grew up in a multilingual family. And it's like mm-hmm. when I talk to my friends, I speak in Hindi or Marathi. And then I talk to my friends here in the UK, I speak in English. You don't mm-hmm. have to think twice about it. So it's kind of like that when you're writing, <clears throat> when you're writing other characters across books. Okay. So your first uh, detective arc, uh, Gotham Nocturne, yeah. uh, it's described as a gothic opera. Uh, I'm not going to spoil what I've read in 1062, but uh, what can readers expect from this first story? So Gotham Nocturne is actually the name of the whole, the whole thing, the big story that I have in mind. The first arc of it is called Overture, much like an opera. Uh, and I, I believe it runs for four issues. Um, without giving away too much, I think I wanted to write a story where I was dealing with a Batman who is questioning his place in the bigger scheme of things, questioning his place in the city um, that is now undergoing or about to undergo dramatic change, good slash bad. Um, and in investigating the, the, the cause, the root of that change, Batman becomes embroiled in this existential struggle where he is battling both actual demons out in the street of Goth- streets of Gotham and uh, inner demons within himself. So that's, that's kind of the general plot pitch. In terms of the aesthetics, uh, you know, when I say gothic opera, people kind of I think people start thinking of musicals, uh, but that's not what it is. Um, in that, I wanted oh, to. Oh, bring... Batman's not going to sing? Uh, <laughs> no comment. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I wanted to bring both those sensib- sensibilities into the book the gothic sensibility of kind of having this sense of tragedy and noir and uh, oppressive darkness kind of sitting over the entire narrative um, where, you know, all your characters have have defining flaws, all your characters have baggage. Um, So so that's one part of the narrative aesthetic. And then I wanted to marry that with the operatic aesthetic, which is, you know, high drama, like people, like actors on a stage, there are flourishes of acting, the the cadence matters, your choice of words matters. Um, And the best way I have to describe it is imagine a dark gothic kind of Wes Anderson film or imagine a um, Batman story done in the style of the Hannibal TV show. Then you will have some sense of what my aesthetic is. Hmm. Very cool. And uh, for going for an aesthetic like that, uh, was Raphael Albuquerque uh chosen specifically for this or was a was he just you know who uh was always going to be uh to be working with you on this so there's a really interesting story with that and and sometimes you have to thank your stars thanks serendipity for putting people together um we were actually having a, a tough time finding the right kind of artist for the book because if there was someone we thought whose aesthetic style married to the book they were not available or the people that were available were amazing, but didn't quite marry with the style of story that that uh, Jess and I were putting together. So we were kind of getting uh, a little bit disappointed in terms of like, oh man, who do we reach out to? And then 4 a.m. in the morning, I get a message from Jessica saying that, 
hey, totally out of the blue, I reached out to Rafael Albuquerque uh, because I thought of his work on, on American Vampire and also Batman. And I thought he would be great in that style. And I was like, yeah, absolutely he would be. But I didn't think we had a chance in hell of landing someone like Rafael Albuquerque on the book. Uh, and turns out he said yes. So there you go. Awesome. Yeah, and his work looks great. I, I, I'll mention it. I, I have read 1062. And uh, yeah, something about the the tone that we're getting in the story through 1062 and and Raphael's work uh, works very well together. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's part of part of the reason he said yes was, um, you know, Jessica conveyed to him that we were doing this operatic noir gothic take uh, on the book. And it was going to be more about like the, the, the drama and the tragedy of it uh, rather than like a, you know, super soldier action Batman or whatever it is. Um, and the moment that was said, he was interested because it's such a natural, natural progression, natural evolution for his work to kind of meld into that aesthetic. Uh, and so I'm glad it comes through in the book. Now, I want to shift gears completely uh, while we're talking about the, the art aesthetic, though, because uh, another book with a really strong art aesthetic is Aquaman Andromeda. And that is just a very different Aquaman story with this deep sea horror element. Uh, I'm, I'm still holding my breath for a PDF of book two, but uh, book one plays out like a good horror movie where you barely see not only the the the, the monster of the mm -hmm. story, you know, the 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 villain, but even Aquaman himself. Uh, as we're we're really spending our time. Uh, acclimating to the world and getting to know our the main characters who are not Aquaman. You know, we we have like just these these people. Uh, so, where did the story for Andromeda come from? Yeah, strangely, um, again, it's one of those things that I had wanted to do, and and so I wasn't really offered the book. It was Black Label coming to me and saying, "Hey." if we asked you to pitch for a black label, give us a few pitches. Um, and off the beaten path, characters are fine as long as they're not so obscure that we're going to run into sales problems. So I was like, yeah, let me do a horror Aquaman book. And as soon as I said that, they were like, say more. Um, <laughs> and so I, I've, I'm a big fan of uh, deep sea horror. Uh, I'm a big fan of tech sci-fi survival horror in general. Um, you know, your, your event horizons, abyss, um, the sphere, all of that. Um, and I quite like that genre of storytelling. Um, I think it marries really well to my tendencies uh, to, to occasionally write talky books. And I think Aquaman certainly uh, a talky book. Um, but the thing that fascinated me and the thing that I was trying to do, and I'm glad it comes across, is I wanted to treat both the the sort of big evil thing under the water and Aquaman as equally surprising, equally terrifying myths. Uh, and that's what it feels like, uh, hopefully, in that here are these human beings going into a place that is unknown uh, for, for first contact 
with an alien creature, you could be defining their first meeting with Aquaman in those same terms. Yeah, whichever of these two things uh, is approaching them, they'll likely be equally frightened of. Yeah. And uh, um, I don't know how many people uh, listening have already read uh, issue one, but it's only a three-issue series, and from how far we get in book one, it feels like it's going to be a whole lot happening over the next two books yeah i feel like i feel like it's a it's a snowball that turns into an avalanche by the end so i think stuff happens definitely you know there's definitely plot progression in two and then you know at the beginning of three like all all the shits hit the fan And, and they should have christian ward draw an underwater monster in everything he draws. Christian all, is, all, all Christian is amazing at at delivering scale. This is what I have learned. Like if you look at his his work, it it always feels dramatic in scale. Uh, and that is a that is an unusual talent. And so to have someone like that either drawing space or drawing underwater stuff it's just perfect perfect marriage did you get to keep any of the artwork <laughs> it's all it's all digital he does everything oh. digitally so yeah i've saved all the emails do you collect any artwork from your stories occasionally i have i have pages um from justice league dark I have pages from from uh, the Swamp Thing annual that I did with with mm-hmm. DM March, uh, and I have a page from one of the Swamp Thing issues that I did with Mike Perkins as well. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm generally terrible at collecting things because I treat everything badly. So <laughs> uh, part of me is just afraid to collect more things that are actually valuable because I'm like. What if I step on it? Because I'm entirely <laughs> capable of doing this. So, um, so yeah, I'm a little bit I'm a little bit hesitant to collect things like original art because I don't want to because I'll never forgive myself if I ruin it. Uh, but I absolutely will ruin it, knowing how I am. So, what's it like as a writer? You know, you present a script to the artist, <clears throat> and you don't. S- I mean, I'm sure there's constant communication emails going back and forth, but what's it like when you get like the final page or book back and seeing your story laid out on page for the first time? Do you ever find, you know, new elements that the artist brought that you thought, well, why didn't I think of that? Or embellish on adding, you know, the text to the story? Yeah, it's like being in a band. Um, where, where you're like, oh, guys, I have this tune in my head. And you just start kind of laying down a riff where you start humming it. And really good bands, you know, a person sat across from you, say your guitarist or your drummer, they start doing a thing that is in response to that. And, and it's not them just playing along with what you're doing. It's them adding to what you're doing. Right. Uh, and then mm-hmm. 
you can hear that addition in real time and then you modify what you're doing because it works. And right. then eventually that kind of back and forth, you end up when you're jamming, I, I, I call it like achieving flow. Like you end up at this moment where you're like, okay, the song is writing itself now. Everybody's on the same page uh, and everybody knows what this sounds like. And, and I think working with a good collaborator feels like that. Uh, you know, someone like a, someone like a Mike Perkins, for example. Yeah. It feels like that all the time where, you know, I've written the script, it goes to Mike and when it comes back from Mike, it has added to what the script was. And so the lettering draft changes based on what Mike has done. Um, and yeah, it, it all, it all looks amazing. Hopefully when, when it goes to the readers, it feels like, one story and not a writer and an artist and a letterer and a colorist working together. Yeah. And that's such a great analogy um, because I've, I've played in bands for gosh, almost 20 years and you're, you're, you're exactly right. You come in with an original idea or what you think it is original idea. Mm -hmm. Hopefully it's an original idea and you have it set in your mind. Okay. This is kind of the song, but then when, another creative voice brings their element. You hear things in a whole different light. Yeah. Um, and it can dr dramatically change, you know, what was your original concept um, versus the finished product. That's kind of what I, I was hoping to hear from your response. Um, I do also have one other question. Um, gosh, and I just forgot it. <laughs> Senior moment. Senior moment. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, well, uh, I, I've got something that I wanted to pivot back to. Uh, maybe Welke tries to uh, remember that. So you mentioned how you uh, don't <clears throat> collect things like the original art, and that's something that I considered when I was reading. I, I forget which book it was I, I was reading that I wondered if that collect... It, it may have been uh, part of Blue and Green, where mm -hmm. uh, it was you know his, his mother's collection of old stuff, and I was wondering if, if that came from like your own tendency to collect... Uh, old memorabilia like that but more specifically i want to talk so there's a page in blue and green mm -hmm. where you really vividly described uh Dieter's sensation after falling from the roof as he was a child yeah uh and as he was laying there awake but then unable to move uh, a body paralyzed by shock and yeah. i was wondering like Ooh. if the ability to describe moments like that ever come from a personal experience or is it just being a writer? That's just what you do is, is putting those, those things into words. Uh, were there any moments in books like blue green or Layla where you were able to draw from your own experiences to create these really hyper-focused descriptions of what the characters were feeling? Well, to, to actually go back to the first part that you talked about, um, it's, it's Dieter going through his mother's, old belongings. And so I do completely have a fascination for rummaging through other people's collections. Um, so I don't collect things myself, but if you put me in a warehouse with stuff that belonged to other people, like I would, I will obsessively go through all of it. Um, and so there's that fascination because it's like learning. It's like discovering another person, but they're not there in front of you. And so you only discover them through the things they own. And I think that's fascinating. I bet you um, love estate sales, don't you? 
<laughs> put me in a storage unit. Lock the door. <laughs> now that's a mystery that you could put in a book. <laughs> um, actually, I, I have I do have a story idea based off something like that, which we will not divulge here. Oh, okay. um, uh, uh, to answer the second part of your question, I think I think the most authentic writing always comes to whatever extent from personal experience. Um, and it's also part of the reason, you know, writers, I think, I think it was Gaiman who said in one of his interviews said my big, my, my, the best advice I can give to you, uh, in terms of writing is put down your pen and paper and go outside and live your life and get your heart broken. Um, and I think it sounds romantic, but that's good advice to take because if you don't experience things uniquely in the way that you experience them, then there's going to be nothing authentic or unique about the way you write. Um, so I think that's important. Uh, I traveled a lot as a chemical engineer for work. Uh, and, you know, I've been to, I've been to, I've been in interesting situations and I've been to places where there are culturally unique experiences to take in. So uh, that does inform my writing quite a bit. Um, the other part of it, in terms of your skill as a writer, it depends really on what you want to do with it. I mean, if you're someone like a, a J.M. Kutsi or a Hemingway, um, you kind of don't want to describe anything beyond its sort of objective self. Uh, and so there are descriptions that, that work like that. Um, but I like to I like to work in a way where hopefully my descriptions achieve like some form of synesthesia in that you are no longer being described something's texture or shape or sound or, or smell, but you're, the description kind of melds into what that feels like. Uh, and, and yeah, part of that is, is skill with words. And the other part is having experienced that yourself. Um, another, another great writing quote uh, is from, from Carver who says the writer's job is to take the familiar and make it unfamiliar all, all over again. That's deep. Right? Just sitting <laughs> with that one well, I mean, I was thinking about that. I was like, well, hell, that's pretty reflective and, and personal. Yeah. I remembered my question. Oh, there we go. This is a little bit more, I don't know, technical. But what mm -hmm. style do you write in? Do you write full script or quote unquote Marvel style? Or do you just kind of go with the artist and say, hey, what works best for you? I always write full script. Uh, I don't know how to write plot style or Marvel style or, or however it's called. I can't. Uh, the obsessive control freak in me can't deal with the idea or panics at the idea of writing a script that is just plot and then getting something back and then having to fit letters to whatever, whatever is on the page. I can't, I can't grapple with that idea. So um, do you lay it out panel by panel or just say, Hey, on this page, this is what's happening. Oh no, yeah. I mean, uh, everything is laid out panel by panel. There are fairly detailed descriptions about what each panel contains, not necessarily framing directions or like, I don't like telling artists like, 
you know, this is a, this guy is standing on the left, that guy is standing on the right. No, I don't do that. Um, my panel descriptions tend to be more, this is how this panel feels. This is the mood. This is what the character is thinking when he delivers this line. Uh, I think we should see this character's expression here. Uh, or sometimes I'll, I'll work in a very specific moment of acting, like, you know, he bangs his hand down on the table and we focus on that for this panel. So um, there's certainly detailed directions there, but they're not staging or framing directions. They're narrative directions. And I always tell the artist, I apologize for the level of detail. If you feel like throwing stuff out the window, more than happy to see what you come up with. So That's cool. I always like whenever DC publishes like the, I guess, director's cut of their issues mm-hmm. and it shows like the full script. I like, I like to break down the, the script of the writers, you know, I know yeah. comics is, you know, focused solely on the, or largely focus on the art, but I like to break down how the artists or I'm getting myself confused. I like to break down how the writers, you know, establish their beats and the pacing and, mm-hmm. You know, just how they, you know, see. I think, the story. I think. I think what you said there is really interesting. You said like comics is mostly focused on the art. See, I think you can when you read a comic, you can tell, except very rare occasions. But mostly, you can tell if this was a comic written by a writer and then an artist took their script, or at least I can tell, uh-huh. um, versus. This is a writer artist who is writing for their own art. Um, I can always tell the difference between something that reads like a like a Mignola book, uh, or or like Jeff Lemire, write, you know, writing his own or drawing his own stuff, versus mm-hmm. something that Mignola is drawing based off of someone else's script, or some something that Jeff has written that has gone to, you know, say Andrea Sorrentino for art, uh, mm-hmm. and so. I think it fundamentally changes what the comic reads and feels like to have a collaborative work versus an auteur work. Um, The only exception or or one of the rare exceptions I've come across uh, to that is someone like a Miller, where I can't tell the difference between, I mean, I can because I know his art, but in terms of the reading experience, I can't tell the difference between when he writes for someone else versus he, he writes and draws himself. I'll just say a complete uh, jump back to other things before, but um, books like Layla and Blue and Green uh, can seem like they're on the topic of death and dying, but I feel like they're at least equally on the topic of life and living whichever way people see it are the is this like recurring theme uh just something that you naturally find in yourself when when you're writing your your own uh your creator own stories i mean i think to an extent my creator own stories tend to tend to on the thematic level bigger picture level at least try and grapple with slash touch on more existential themes. So I think life and death, very much an existential theme. Um, 
I don't think necessarily blue and green contends with life or death in, in that way, but I think suffering for reward, suffering for artistic greatness is, is again, one of those existential questions. Um, and so my tendency is to thematically investigate, explore those things, um, because I think that's the whole point. That's the human experience, right? Um, you, you, if you, if you've ever contended with, you know, someone's death, if you're thought about death and if you're worried about life and in some way you've, you've gone through all of these thoughts in your head, not necessarily articulated as a story. Um, and I think, I think all successful fiction on, on some level touches on existential obsessions like that. Now, I don't want to, uh, keep you in here any longer than you actually uh, have time for. Uh, yeah, yeah, I've Gramps, got like five more minutes. Yeah, Gramps, uh, did you want to try to get a, a bit of a lightning round in here? Oh, okay. <clears throat> so what we have on the lightning round is just, you know, a chance to, to get to know you, you know, outside the comic world, you know. Um so we have some kind of rapid fire questions that we just throw out and you can hope for the best, hope for the best. <laughs> <clears throat> so you live in, is it London? Yeah. Yeah. London. Do you ever go on that big circus wheel? Once. What's it like driving in London? I, I don't drive in London. It would be, it would be crazy to drive in London. Who's, who's your favorite bands? Uh, too many to name, but probably Tool, nice. uh, Black Keys, um, Nirvana. Oh man, there's still, I'm, I'm just gonna fall down yeah. a music hole if we go from here. So, <laughs> no, you're you're in good company because those are some of our favorites too. I'm glad. So, uh, living a lot, do you sport at all? Uh, no, not really. I used to, but but um, not anymore. I don't imagine they have very good pizza in London. Is that correct? They have excellent pizza in London. Really? Considering pizza is a European dish. Well, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, no, there, there goes uh, America thinking <laughs> they own everything. There we go. <laughs> hey, so what's the best pizza place in in London? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. There's probably there's probably tons that I haven't had pizza yet, um, but I do like. There's a there's a place called um, God. I'm forgetting his name now. Uh, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna have to edit that part out. I don't I don't remember I don't remember the name. There's a cafe right next to my place that makes excellent pizza. So you live part of your time in the states in Philadelphia, correct? Yeah. Did you ever? run up those steps and do the Rocky pose? No, I ran up those steps and yelled at people trying to do the Rocky pose. <laughs> <laughs> what What did you yell? Stop it! Stop it! <laughs> it's a really old film. Why are you still here? <laughs> All right. This is more on a personal level. And this is one I just 
thought of at the top of my head. I don't know why, but you know, you mentioned being obsessive compulsive by nature. This is something I'm obsessive compulsive about. And I'm going to, this is kind of, I'm going to relate it to paper towels. I guess you could relate it to toilet paper too, but are you an over or under roller guy? Mm, under. Under? Really? Yeah. Hell yeah. Under? <laughs> maybe, maybe it's I a feel, common I feel like, thing. I feel like we're going we're gonna to fall out over this. <laughs> it tells uh, I, me a I'm, lot. I'm with you. It tells me a lot. Hmm. You're an under. Okay. Uh, I guess they don't have good barbecue in London, though. Is that correct? Oh, I was when you said you were going to relate it to paper towels. I was going to cut in with, "I'm going to relate it to barbecue." <laughs> I know uh, people people barbecue a lot, but I I will say American barbecue beats out barbecuing in London. So, all right, well, that's good. I, I British music, the UK music, I listen to that more. So they win the music, we win we win the barbecue. That's that's mm-hmm. a fair trade. Um. What else do we got that we usually hit on? Um, what, what's your favorite snack? Like when you're writing a story, what do you snack on? Uh, it changes from time to time. But right now, my favorite snack is mochi ice cream oh. rice dough balls. Yeah. Oh, that sounds amazing. Yeah, it's basically Japanese rice dough filled with roasted hazelnut ice cream. Oh. It's- yeah, they're they're amazing. I blame Kieran Gillen because he's the one who put me onto them. Making <laughs> us look like snack chumps. <laughs> <laughs> what is uh what is uh some of your favorite movies? Uh, again, one of those questions that will be will be here all day, and I'll I'll keep coming up with a different list each time. So let's not even let's not even okay. bother. I watch well, too many of them. So yeah, since, since we're chiefly here. To, you know, we're meant to be talking about Batman. What did you think of the recent Batman film? I thought it was good—a return to more character-focused Batman, which which I like. Um, but I thought the last half an hour of the movie felt tacked on to what was what would have been a good film otherwise. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, I get that. Now, your bio says dog person. What kind of dog do you have? Or you like I have that? a I have a Jack Russell Terrier, a four year old Jack Russell Terrier at home with me, but he's not allowed into my office. So, oh. um, yeah, he's mischievous, huh? Or distracting? <laughs> yeah, mostly distracting. He yeah. does come up here from time to time. I'm terrible in terms of disciplining. Those are very smart dogs. They are. They are exceptionally smart. And then I've got a I've got an eight year old. Uh, Labrador retriever back in India, who's now living with my um, my my in laws because mm-hmm. we can. I didn't want to put him on a flight and bring him over here and sedate him for eight or nine hours and all that stuff. So. Do your pets have social media? No, I don't. <laughs> I, I barely have social media. <laughs> okay. I ask that because I have a dog that has his own social media. <laughs> Yeah, no, I just can't. I mean, I like the idea of it, and I will spend hours looking at other people's pets, but I can't be bothered putting photographs of me or my pets up on the internet. Yeah. Oh, it's a mm-hmm. it's a dangerous rabbit hole. You get sucked into some of these 
Instagram reels. And I'll, I'll yeah, there's only so many obsessive things I can do. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Won't get anything done. All right. Well, uh, we should uh, let you finally exit here. So uh, again, to to loop back, uh, July twenty sixth, Detective Comics ten sixty two, first issue from Rom V, Raphael Albuquerque, and Dave Stewart, and also uh, we talked about a few of his other books here. And it, if you have not yet expanded your horizons, you're really missing lots of great stuff out there. So the next time you go into your comic shop, and you know that you're disappointed that there's only one or two DC and Marvel books uh, there for you. Check out other things. There are award-winning and award-nominated books like Many Deaths of Layla Star, Blue and Green, These Savage Shores, and tons of stuff from other creators too. So check out other things. You're you're going to find things you love. But uh, thank you, Rom. Is there anything else you want to leave people with uh, before they read Detective 1062? No, no, that's it. You you covered everything in your very, very kind outro uh, uh, little spiel. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for taking some time to do this. Uh, safe travels to America and San Diego Comic Con and, uh, and good luck thank for you. that whole week. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Hopefully thank I you. come back without any viruses. So. Oh, hopefully so. Hopefully so. <laughs> wear, wear two masks. <laughs> I will. I will. All Bye. right. Have a great week, and uh, hopefully we'll chat with you again soon. Yeah, yeah, my pleasure. Thank you. All right. Thanks a lot.